Untie me. Let me go. Tired of these games. Good morning, everybody. We're going to tackle one of the toughest issues that we ever face, um, and it's going to take a lot of work today. I don't know if you would call this a sermon or not. It's going to be kind of a workshop, and so because of that, if you're a note taker, I'm not a note taker. I'm never good at that, but if you like taking notes, this is probably a morning you're, you're going to want to do that because I'm going to move pretty fast. Uh, I'm going to get on my horse and ride through a lot of scripture today because we need to, we need to understand probably uh, one of the most perplexing issues that we as God followers ever deal with. And, and it comes down to this. Let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever watched the conduct of other people, whether we're talking about people that you knew or maybe public figures that you thought you knew at least about, and then we learned that that person has done something that we consider completely out of character? Um, I'm, not, to, not to use names, I don't know this person, I'm guessing you don't know this person, but uh, many of us know the name Ted Haggard. Ted Haggard pastored a large evangelical church in Colorado. At uh, one time, he was the head of the National Association of Evangelicals, which was a 30,000-member group of people. And he went all over the country espousing values, and especially family values, and yet you and I watch the news as we learned that uh, supposedly he visited a, a male prostitute and imbibed in methamphetamine. And so we look at a situation like that and we try to sort it out and say, how do, we, how do we connect that situation? Not that it's important that we do because God is ultimately the judge, but I think all of us struggle to, to process that. And we're asking, how could that happen? Or maybe it's uh, not something that's scandalous. Maybe it's just something that happens in someone's life that we thought we knew and they just act in a fashion very much out of character. I had a friend who was a pastor, a very good pastor, a very good friend. Um, I spoke in his church a number of times. I thought he had one of the greatest churches in America. I thought he was a, a, a tremendous pastor. And, you know, he was the kind of life of the party guy. If I was in the car driving with him, he was always telling jokes and cutting up. And um, last year, I'm on the deck of my house, and I get a phone call. I used to sit on the board of directors with this man, and I get a phone call that he has died suddenly with no explanation. And the next day, I get another call, and someone tells me that he has died by his own hand. And I'm perplexed because that seems so out of character for him. And other friends, mutual friends that we share, said things such as, I just had lunch with him the other day, and he was so excited about the future and he surely could not have committed suicide because he had so much to live for. Let's make it personal. Have you ever found yourself apologizing for a conflict that escalated out of, out of control with either a friend, maybe your, you know, your significant other, or your husband or wife? And you know how it is when you get into an argument, after a while, you know, it, somebody ups the ante and then you have to respond and things get said at that point that are completely out of character, you know, and you find yourself apologizing. Have you ever found yourself apologizing after, hopefully you have, apologized after you've been in a conflict, if you've let it get out of control? Have you ever found yourself saying, I don't know where that came from. That wasn't me talking. 
I don't, I don't know who that person was. That person yelling and saying all those awful things, that, that wasn't me. How do we, how do we rectify that? We, we could do it the cheap way and just say, well, I guess that person is a hypocrite. But what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person who has a gap between their, the values that they hold or espouse and their actual life. Well, <laughs> by that definition, how many of us would qualify for hypocrisy? I think we can buy the shirts in bulk, can't we? Is it perhaps just a little deeper than that person is the great pretender or that person is a hypocrite? Certainly, pretense and hypocrisy is part of that. There's no question. But let me ask you, let me ask you this. Is it just possible that what we're talking about here isn't so much that someone is just pretending? Perhaps there is a battle going on inside of us with competing ideologies. I don't know what happened with Ted Haggard. Maybe he was a total fraud. Maybe, maybe, he, was, maybe he, he, he was what, he, what we, you know, as Denny Green said, he, he is who we thought he is. I don't know. But on the other hand, could it be that he had a battle raging on the inside of him? Could it be that my friend who took his life had a battle raging inside of him? One side of him was the personality that everybody thought he was, but the other side was a darker side that only he knew about, a secret life. When you and I let a conflict get out of control and we say things that we don't mean, is it that we just really want to hurt the person we love or is it because we have a battle going on inside of us? And if it is a battle, what are those forces? How do we identify them? And bigger, how do we fight that battle? Well, I'm going to ask for your permission today because here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a lot of verses from the Word of God and my goal is to do something today. My goal is to help you connect the dots. I'm going to give you five dots that help us understand this whole situation. And then we're going to just ride through a lot of Scripture and we're going to see how these dots connect. Because here's my guess. For those of you who followed Jesus for a long time, maybe those of you who studied your Bible, my guess is you have these five dots. It just may be that you've never connected them this morning. Well, whether you have them or don't, we're going to look at these five dots and we're going to connect them. And guys, you're going to have to work with me because we're just going to go through a lot of Scripture. But here's my deal today. When you walk out of here, I honestly believe you're going to say two things. I understand myself better, and I understand the world better. Because I think these two, these two truths will be part of our repertoire when we leave here today. My talk is called Cold War. And in our series, My Secret Life, I, I, I thought a lot about the Cold War. The Cold War was basically a situation that the world was in from 1945 to 1992. Although, you, you might actually say the Cold War pretty much comprised the 20th century. But after World War II, the world was basically being carved up into two categories, into two camps. There were two competing ideologies. There was communism and there was democracy. There was communism and capitalism. And actually, it was Joseph Stalin who said in 1925 that he imagined that ultimately there would be a bipolar world. And he wasn't using bipolar like we use it today in the terms of psychological health. But he was talking about it in geopolitical terms. And he said, ultimately, he perceived that there would be a bipolar world in which all of the uh, communist-leaning nations would gravitate to the Soviet bloc and those that were uh, proponents of democracy would congeal around the Western Bloc or what ultimately became NATO. Now, here's the thing about the Cold War. You know, it really wasn't a shooting war. It was a, a war 
there's a term that came out of the Cold War, and this is probably more than you want to know, but there was a term that was called brinkmanship. And in brinkmanship, it was just how close could these powers get to the edge to gain advantage without starting a nuclear war. If, if you were around in 1962, or if you're a student of history, you know the Cuban Missile Crisis is a prime example of brinkmanship. Two competing ideologies. And here's the thing. It is so hard to understand anything that happened in our world from 1945 to 1992. It is, it is impossible, basically, to interpret any event that happened in our world outside the context of the Cold War. Be it in Central America, South America, Africa, it was like the whole world was on the edge because there were two competing ideologies in the world. And things that happened were interpreted by that Cold War. Well, let me just say to all of us here today, you have a Cold War inside of you. You have two competing ideologies, and you and I cannot understand our lives. We cannot interpret what is going on in our lives if we don't understand this Cold War. So five dots this morning, and here we go. Here's the first one. Dot number one, all of us are born with a warped nature. All of us are born with a warped nature. Now, when I use the word nature, what I'm talking about here is an internal force inside of us. This all happened when Adam sinned. If you were here last week, you remember how that I explained to you that that Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment and God gave them a choice whether to follow him or to disobey. And he, he gave them one rule and they broke it. And when they broke it, just as God promised, all kinds of evil flooded into our world. And you and I, because we were in Adam and Eve's gene pool, we were corrupted by the same what the old timers used to call the fall, we were corrupted by that same fall. Well, let me just show you what the Bible says about what happened when Adam sinned. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Adam, uh, Romans five fifteen for the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. Five sixteen Adam's sin led to condemnation. Five eighteen yes, Adam's sin brings condemnation for everyone. So when Adam sinned, he fell, and he, he had this corrupted nature, and since we are all children of Adam and Eve, we were born with it. You didn't have, you know, as you, parents know, you don't have to teach your children to lie. You don't have to say, now listen, sweetheart, when you get into trouble and you think you're about to get punished, all you have to do is say, I didn't do it. You have to teach your kids to do that. You have to teach them to tell the truth, don't you? See, that's what I'm trying to say. All of us are born with that warped nature. And and I know that some of you have been to philosophy class at the university, and they've said that that's not really true, but I just want to ask you a question. If it isn't true, how do you explain your life? There is a gravity. There is a spiritual gravity that pulls us in the wrong direction. Now, in 1 John chapter 2, the Bible teaches us that there are three key drives to this warped nature. And, And these are really important to understand. In 1 John 2, 16, it says, all this in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, when you and I begin to examine this corrupt nature that is within us that we were born with, you've you got to identify three drives. The lust of the eyes, it says, I want what I see. Do you have that? I do. I mean, I can drive by certain car dealerships, and the lust of the eyes whew, it just kicks off. Lust of the eyes, I want what I see. The lust of the flesh, I want what makes me feel good. And the pride of life, I want to be worshipped. Now, we never articulate that last one. 
But there's a side of us, and, and, and boy, boy, I'm, I'm going to be really careful about this because I don't want to just go too far with this. But I do think sometimes that's what causes us to identify with some of these reality shows or even shows like American Idol is because we sort of resonate with this worship component. And that dark side is in every one of us, and all of us have those three components. Lust of the eyes, I want what I see. The lust of the flesh, I want what makes me feel good. Pride of life, I want to be worshipped. I want people to look up to me. I have it, you have it. Now, interestingly, even before Adam and Eve fell, when Satan was tempting Eve, he went after her on these three things. Let's read through Genesis 3. This is the actual moment when Satan was tempting Eve to sin. God had said, don't eat of the fruit that I've, I've forbidden you, just the one tree in the garden. God said, the day you, you do it, you're, you're going to begin to die. Now, in Genesis 3, verse 4, Satan said, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and listen to this, you will be like God. In other words, you won't have to worship God. You will have this wisdom that will elevate you to equal status with God, and you can be like God. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, lust the eyes. Its fruit looked delicious, lust the flesh. It looks like it will make me, make me feel good, taste good. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, the pride of life. She took some of the fruit and ate it. And guys, let me tell you this. The same Satan that exploited this with Eve and Adam will do the same thing with you and me. He understands very clearly we have these three drives that are in our corrupted nature. I want what I see. I want what makes me feel good. I want to be worshipped. And he will play us. He will play us day in and day out. And he'll work on those three avenues. Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to share with you that everybody has a battle going on. Because even if you're not yet a Christ follower, even if you haven't experienced a new birth, you have an internal struggle going on between this old nature and your conscience. But those of us who are Christ followers, as we'll see in a few moments, we not only have the old nature within us, when we were born again, we got the new nature, which is God's Holy Spirit. So we have two competing powerful forces within us. But here's something I want to say to those of you who are God followers, Christ followers. You've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God's Holy Spirit lives inside of you. No matter how long you're saved, in this world, your old nature is always going to be your default nature. I've been a Christ follower since I was eight years old. That's a lot of years. And i got to tell you this. My old nature is still my default nature. You know, isn't it interesting? Don't you wish that love was habit-forming? Don't you wish that showing mercy was habit-forming? It's like, oh, man, I just love showing mercy. I can't help myself. Oh, I just love keeping self-control. Man, I'm addicted to that. You know, every time somebody ticks me off, oh, I can't. I want to lose my, I want to lose my temper, but I can't. I'm just so addicted to self-control. Yeah, you see why we're laughing? And many of us are God followers. It's, see, it's the old nature is our default nature. You know, when we use the term default, for many years we used it pretty much in a business context. But today, for, really for the last 25 years, default's pretty much primarily used in a computer setting. Because we have default settings. And we return to default settings. Let me read you a dictionary definition of default in terms of computer usage. It is a value that a program or operating system assumes or a course of action that a program or operating system will take when the user or, or programmer specifies no overriding value or action. Now let me just tell you, the old nature is an operating system. If there is no overriding value, 
if there's no overriding action, I will instantly default to my old nature. That part that doesn't want to get into trouble and is tempted to lie, that part of me that's tempted to lose my temper when I want to express to people that I'm not getting my way, that part of me that is corrupt, I will, after all these years of following Christ, if there's no overriding value, if there's no overriding action, I will default. And so will you. Unscrew the halos. Now, the old nature with those, with, with those three key components, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, it will manifest itself in certain specifics. And the Bible gives us these in Galatians 5 verse 19. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. God says, this isn't ambiguous, this isn't rocket science. Sexual immorality, impurity, that means a dirty mind. Lustful pleasures, that would be stuff like pornography. 20, idolatry, sorcery. Interestingly, the root word for sorcery there is pharmakia. We get our word for drugs from that. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, causing conflict between people. Envy, wishing you had what other people have. Drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Well, you know, I don't know how you fare with that hip parade, but I'm guessing that you and I see something that we bought there. Right? And that's what the old nature does. It, it produces garbage. With that lust of the eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life, it produces garbage. Now, with that in mind, let's now go to the second dot, because the first dot is that all of us have a warped, corrupted nature that we're born with, and you can't do anything about it, and we all have it. With every human being on the planet, number two, there is a battle going on. Every human being has a battle. Even people who are not God followers, even people that don't even believe in God, they still have a battle. Because even though they may not have that divine sense or that divine message of right and wrong, each one of us has a conscience. And just the old nature and the conscience will wrestle. I have friends who are agnostic and some friends who are atheists, but they still have a conscience. There is that sense of rightness. I mean, I've read in the Bible about conscience for years, and I'm not really sure that I can just drill down and really understand with clarity precisely what the conscience is. It seems to be, this is the best definition I can give you, it seems to be just that little component that God has put within every human being that gives that human being a, a chance to recognize light, to recognize the difference between right and wrong. I'm guessing conscience is just a merciful act that God performed upon a fallen world to keep us all from blowing this thing apart. And even if you're not a God follower today, you have a conscience. Your conscience is that thing that just says, hey, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. And, and someone could be here today and say, well, Mark, okay, I don't even need God. You've sufficiently convinced me I don't need God because I've got my conscience. And, you know, I can't remember the, I'm too old, too, I mean, too young for this. It's good to be too young for something at my age. But uh, there was a, was it a Disney movie? Was it Jiminy Cricket? It said, let your conscience be your God. That's some of the screwiest advice. You know, if, if you're living your life based on the advice of a cricket, it's probably not the smartest thing in the world. Yeah. The reason why your conscience is not a good guide is because you can go into settings and you can change it. 
In fact, you can tell your conscience no. And, 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 and by the way, we have mechanisms for dealing with our conscience. We say things like, well, everybody else gets by with it. You know, I, I, if, if, she, if she can do it, I can do it. You know, if he tells a lie, well, then I can tell a lie. Or my wife has it coming or my husband has it coming. Or I bet my parents hid things from their parents when they were growing up. See what I mean? That's the problem with conscience. Conscience can be messed with. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that says in Titus, this is Titus 1.15, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. I mean, we all have read stories about psychopaths that don't have any conscience at all because they've just basically wasted their conscience. But that being said, the second dot today is that every human being has a battle going on. And when you look at life or read the paper or, or watch the news or you listen to something that happened in the life of a friend at work and it just seems so out of character, don't forget. Don't forget. Everybody has got a battle going on inside. Dot number three. Christ followers have a much more well-defined battle. In fact, they have a much more intense battle going on. Because when you accept Jesus Christ, every week I give people a chance to pray with me and accept Christ. When you invite God to come into your life, Jesus called it being born again. And here's why I think he used that expression. When you were born the first time, you were born with the old nature. When you're born again, you're born with a brand new nature. In that same chapter where Jesus told the man that he had to be born again, here's what Jesus said. He said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. The part of you that was born of flesh, that's the skin stuff Jesus is talking about, that's the old person, that part that's material, that part that is born of flesh, it has a corrupt nature. But when you're born again, God moves into your life, and suddenly you have a competing force inside of you. You have a powerful force that has the potential to dominate the other force. There is a problem. The problem is you don't lose the old nature. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be great if you just prayed to receive Christ and it's like, okay, the new nature has replaced the old nature. And we'll just default back to obeying God. That's one of the reasons why I love the idea of going to heaven. See, this is why you and I have to die. It's why we have to be changed if Jesus comes and we don't die. We have to be transformed so that we can lose this old nature. And I look forward to that. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. But I'm so looking forward to not having to mess with this dark side of me. Now, here's the thing. The fact that you have two natures within you means that you are constantly making a choice. This is from the Bible, Colossians 3.10. It says, put on the new nature. In other words, it is possible for you to have the new nature and not wear it. Put on there is just exactly like it sounds. It's like putting on clothes. I went to my closet today and decided to wear this jacket. And so I put it on. Now, once I got to my office, I looked, it doesn't match my shirt, but I decided to put it on. And in the morning when you get up, you really have a chance. You can either put on the old nature, you can just put on the new nature. I mean, i got to be honest with you. There are days when I put on the old nature. I'm grumpy. I'm cantankerous. I'm fault-finding. I'm edgy. I don't like this. I don't like that. I've got on the old nature. And there are days when I, I decide, you know what? I just really want to please God today, and I put on the new nature. This is what God is saying. Look, you've got a choice to make. I mean, no Christian can walk around and just say, well, I'm just dominated by my old nature. No, you chose to put it on. 
And just as the specifics were not fuzzy before, they're not fuzzy about the new nature. That new nature produces certain kinds of things. Galatians 5.22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Man, when I'm putting on the new nature, I'm pleasant to be around. It's getting quiet in here. Okay, here's dot number four. Don't be surprised at the intensity of this battle. This is, where, this is what's going to really help some of you who are Christ followers. Maybe you prayed to receive Christ, and it was just such a glorious experience, and you said, oh, I've got it now. Hey, there, there are two things in life that you never say, I've got it now. One is golf, and the other is walking with God. Just never, <laughs> never say, I've got it now, because you'll get humbled the next time you go out. But maybe you had that experience. Maybe you prayed to receive Christ and you walked out of here and you said, my life has changed. And for days you went and it was just like floating on a cloud. Or it could be that you had a spiritual renewal in a service here or maybe at home or maybe you're worshiping with Lance and the band and it's like, wow, it's like the Holy Spirit turns on all your lights and you walk out of here and you say, I've got it now. I'm gonna be. And then you're, you're on the way home from church and somebody cuts you off in traffic. And a word flies out of your mouth and you're saying, did that come out of me? Is there somebody else in the car here? Or or maybe just you have a thought and it's so dark and it's so ugly. And here's what we do. We say, well, how can a real God follower have a thought like that? How can somebody who's truly God's child say a word like that? Have you ever wrestled with that? Or, or have you found yourself asking God to forgive you for the same sin for the 897th time? And you're saying, I must not really be a God follower. Here's the deal. You've forgotten that you have a real head button battle going on inside of you. Listen to this. This is Galatians 5, verse 17. The sinful nature, that's the old nature, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of the sinful nature's desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Hey, how many God followers here would like to do some broken field running? I mean, wouldn't you just like to say, whoo, I have it now. I'm just pleasing God left and right. I'm doing everything right. Man, today's just wonderful. No opposition. I'm just running up. I'm running down the field and everything's cool. You're not going to have that in this life. You're going to have a head button. Let's get ready to rumble battle every day of your life. Because you've got a nature inside of you that wants to go dark. And you've got God's nature inside of you that loves light. And they are always butting each other's head. Do you feel that inside? I do. And I know what some of you are thinking. And I try to be real honest about this. Because some of you guys are way too kind to me. And I'm grateful for it. But every once in a while, you know, I feel somebody say, well, you don't really struggle with this. Oh, yeah, I do. There are people, I think there are people that want to think, you know, well, there's this 33rd degree Christian. You can get up to this place in life where you just cruise. I mean, I have a, I have a dark side, but, but 
Mother Teresa doesn't have a dark side. I, you know, I have a side of me that's, you know, not right, but, you know, Billy Graham, he doesn't have it, or the saints don't have it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you somebody who is greater than anybody we just mentioned. Not that I'm judging, but if you just want to look at impact, St. Paul was the most influential person outside of Jesus Christ who ever lived. A legend. Just say St. Paul. You can almost see stained glass in your organ music playing. Man, the dude did three and a half missionary journeys, took the word of God all over the world, started churches every place, wrote 13 books of the New Testament, maybe 14. We're not sure about Hebrews. A legend. A genius when it comes to the things of God. Paul was probably having a really, really bad day, and he was journaling, and God codified it and allowed it to be part of the book of Romans. Would you like to see what Paul said about the battle in his life? He said in Romans 7, verse 15, I don't really understand myself. And I'm saying, oh, I'm right there with you. I don't really understand myself. I mean, here is a man, after all this time, he looked at his own life, and he said, I can't, I can't figure me out. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, the corrupt nature I was born with. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do, do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. <laughs> Verse 21, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war, cold war, with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death. And then he said, thankfully, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, O oh Lord. Dot number five. What does winning look like? Okay, hang with me for another moment. You're never going to eradicate the old nature. It is going to be with you until Jesus comes or until you die. So you're, you're, not going to, you're not going to just get rid of it totally, but you can win battles. Wars are won by winning battles. See, most of us who are non-military, we sort of assume that it's just one big war, one big battle. But those of you who have been part of military campaigns, you understand clearly that wars are won by winning series of battles. And it's the same thing in your Christian life. You may not eradicate that old nature, but you can get wins, and it's important to get wins because somebody can say, well, listen, I'm going to have this head-button battle going on so that I should just give in and, and not even worry about it. You know, every time we give in to the old nature, it's going to mess up our lives and hamper other relationships, and it's going to make God sad. So let's start talking about how to get some wins. I want to read this to you from the message. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 12, and it's talking about how to get wins. I love this. It, it says that, that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. In other words, what, what the Bible is saying is, when you're trying to make a decision, don't, don't have a meeting. And invite the God's nature in and the old nature in and say, boys, what do we do here? Or girls, depending upon what you know. What, what do we do here? And God says, well, I, this is what the Word of God says you need to do. And the flesh says, but I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. Well, let's, let's discuss that for a little while. You know what we're going to do if we discuss that? And a lot of us have these kind of internal discussions going on every day of our lives. God is saying this, but lust the flesh, lust the eyes, pride of life saying this. And we have this battle going on. And God is saying, look, just don't even give sin a vote. 
I mean, when you come to the table, the Word of God is saying this, and the new nature is saying this, and the old nature is saying this. You just say the old nature, I'm sorry. You, you, you're just not registered to vote in this election. Look, that's what the Bible says. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give at the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with the old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time, remember you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Well, so since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and that's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. Now, basically, if you want to just get right to the germ or right to the seed of what that whole thing is about, it is this. You have two natures inside of you. Once you have God living inside of you, you no longer have to obey what the old nature says. It's still there. It's still screaming. It's still threatening. It's still promising. But you don't have to obey it anymore because you have the power of God living inside of you. In closing this morning, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to, I want you to become a rebel, a fist-waving, card-carrying rebel. I grew up in the late 60s, early 70s. It was a time of rebellion. We dressed rebellious. We talked rebellious. We talked about revolution. Our music was rebellious. We were all a bunch of rebels. Being rebel was cool. Actually, being a rebel became the norm. Of course, as Paul just said, I discovered that a lot of that rebellion, most of that was rebellion against good. And just about everybody who rebelled like that, they screwed their lives up royally. Made good songs, but didn't make for good living. See, here's the deal. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous because rebelling against good, there, there's not much to that. There's sort of a spiritual gravity, I and mean, that's a default position. To rebel against what's good, that's kind of almost an oxymoron. Have you ever thought about being a rebel against that which is bad? I'm talking about, you know, a fist-waving rebel. Because your old nature says, you know, there she is, buddy. Look how good looking she is. She's not dressed very well. And just feast your eyes on that. Have you ever thought about saying, I don't want to and you can't make me? Well, you're shopping and it's like, you got to have that, man. You're going to have to use plastic. And you're going to be making minimum payments until Jesus comes and maybe after. And you don't really need it because you have three in that color already. But, you know, isn't that great? And and you say, no, I'm not gone. I don't want to and you can't make me. Somebody does something wrong and there's just everything welling up with the pride of life is saying, just lose your temper and let everybody know who's in control here. And you say, no, I'm not going to. I don't want to and you can't make me. Because every time you do that, you'll get a win. And your life will be transformed. Connect the dots. Thanks for listening today, guys. This is great. This is great scriptures. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've taught us in your word today. Help us to leverage this and use it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray just for one more moment here. It could be that you're saying, Mark, when you talked about a battle going on and and not really having God in my life, but just dealing with conscience. You describe me. Could I just tell you this? 
if, if all you have is conscience, you're, you're underpowered. If you, all you have is conscience, you, you've got nuclear weapons on one side and a squirt gun on the other side. You need Jesus in your life. You need the new nature. You need God to move in, to give you a power that allows you to be a card-carrying, fist-waving rebel against the dark side that is in you. How do you get that? Could I, could I give you some really good news today? It's a gift. You just have to ask. See, it's already been paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, the blood that came out of his body was a sacrifice for your sins and my sins. And after he finished dying on the cross, the way God looked for it is all our sin had been paid for that opened the way for us to have a relationship with God and for God to move into our lives. But you have to ask. It's available to everybody, but you have to ask. God will not force himself on anybody. So what you need to do is the Bible says believe to accept that message and to commit your life personally to it. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment that does that. These aren't magic words. God thinks about what's inside of you more than the words that you say. But I'm going to pray a prayer, and if that's attractive to you and you're ready to invite Jesus into your life, why don't we do that together? You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. There's a nature within me that's corrupted. I realize I can't save myself, but I believe Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, 